Good morning, everybody. Glad that you're here. I'm looking forward to sharing with you. Anybody else curious about our offering from last week? Anybody else? Okay, Tara, well, I got some news for you. Um, last week, we finished up a series on uh, generosity, and an opportunity was actually given to us, was presented to us, uh, to make much of Jesus by giving to a ministry that is happening in Osaka, Japan. And so we did. We passed the plates, and we had an opportunity to give to it. I, they needed, I think at the time, we thought roughly around $31,000 or so. And so that was kind of one of those things that we were hoping and praying for. And I want you to know, by the way, that giving doesn't necessarily stop. I even had a young lady hand me a bag of Skittles today. She literally said, hey, Mr. Johnson, will you take some, I forget what she called me, Jim, Mr. Johnson. Would you like some Skittles? I have some extra. She goes, I have lots. And then she gave me this. And I thought, wow, how sweet. That was really, really nice. And that's kind of what we did last week, was it not? We looked at what we had and we said, man, we have lots. But hopefully we did not give out of our abundance, but we gave out of a heart that is committed to the kingdom. So on Tuesday, I had an opportunity to call Jay. Um, and it was really kind of a, a surprise to him. I said, hey, Jay, listen, uh, you didn't know we were doing this, but we took up an offering last week uh, for your ministry here in Osaka, Japan. And, uh, and, and we want to, to let you know. And before I actually gave him the number, before I give you the number, he said that one of the most exciting things that they've been going through lately is they were hoping for, I think, roughly $15,000 to come from um, those who are newly converted to, to Jesus Christ in Japan. That's been a real struggle for them is to try to teach those people who are new to the faith just the need to be kingdom-minded, especially with their financial resources. And so that was a big deal. And uh, they're giving there. They've raised almost $30,000, like in Japan. And so that was a tremendous answer to prayer. And I said, well, that's great. We can celebrate that with you. But I have something else for you. We took up an offering, and so I notified him of that. And uh, I said, hey, by the way, here's how much we have. And I told him that we raised $32,936.42. And we've actually had a little bit come in after that. Amen? Amen. Can you imagine how much we would have given if the college students had been here? I mean, I'm not kidding. I had like a, a guy, an accounting expert, think we could have probably given almost $33,000 if they had all been here. So that was pretty cool. But don't worry. They're driving nice cars and they have great vacations. They're just broke. You know what I mean? But... Uh, and you wonder why they go to Life Church. Okay, um, <laughs> this this really is an incredible number. Really, really excited about this. And by the way, um, some more has been coming in, and we want to continue to give to that. We really do. We want to continue to give to that. And this was, and we're not doing it for our sake. We really aren't. I hope we're not. I hope we never do this for our sake. But the beauty of it, really, the beauty of it is. Um, churches here in America are going to partner together. So far, this is the largest amount that has come from the stateside ever. And so what an incredible opportunity for us to be a part of that. I mean, it really is, right? Is it not a privilege to be able to give to the kingdom? There's the guy on the bike still. Uh, if you can see in the backdrop there, there's Jay and the guy on the bike. I have no idea who he is. Um, but right now, I want to pray for him. And I want to pray for uh, what this gift is going to do and how God can, can, can use it for his glory. After we were on the phone call, and actually we videotaped me FaceTiming Jay, and in the middle of that, or sorry, at the end of that, Jay said, okay, now my day is completely changed. I thought how interesting that was. And he woke up that morning, had no idea what we had done, had no idea what God had put on our hearts. And he goes to work, and he gets like this interjection this interruption, 
And all of a sudden, he says, now my day is completely changed. Um, God does that all the time. I just pray that we can respond to it, right? What a privilege it is to give to the kingdom. Let's pray. God, for the man on the bike um, and for the millions who have no idea who you are, they know you by name, maybe. They do not know you by obedience. They do not know you by faith. They've at best heard of you. Thank you for sending Jay and Mustard Seed. Thank you for the opportunity of this building and where it's located. Thank you for the opportunity to preach the gospel. And what a privilege it was for me to hear Jay there preach the gospel with amazing clarity and purpose. Something I learned. Thank you for the way that they are devoted and dedicated to you. And thank you for the privilege of giving. I pray, Father, that it is never out of our abundance but it is from our devotion to you. All praise and glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. And so what a privilege it is to give to the name of Jesus. And here we are this morning picking up where we left off a while ago. You may have forgotten, but um, before the generosity series and then before our Easter series, we were in a very long series through the gospel of Matthew. Now, hey, don't blame me. Matthew wrote 28 chapters that we've got to work through. And we don't want to just kind of pick, let's, let's find five, seven, 12 topics that are really pertinent to our lives. No, it's like, let's submit ourselves to Matthew's portrait of who Jesus Christ is that was guided by the Holy Spirit. And so we finally added our last piece, the glorified king, chapters 26 through 28. Now, one of the things that we were looking at when we were carving up Matthew's gospel was right near when we were having Easter was also when we were entering into the final weeks of Jesus. And so here we are today, picking up where we left off, Matthew chapter 26, we're going to begin in verse 1, we just have 16 verses that we want to plow through today, but more than that, we want those verses to affect and shape our lives. The beauty of this text is actually um, how honest Matthew is with the different responses to Jesus Christ. Because some people still cannot get it through their mind that Jesus Christ, who he is and what he said, is controversial. To them, like, Jesus is a great teacher. Them is, Jesus is somebody who's really kind and caring and compassionate. Who's against compassion? Who would argue against being kind and caring for the poor? Who would argue about that? That's not their beef with Jesus. Their beef with Jesus is not that he taught or not that he healed lepers or that he somehow cared for the poor. That he was a friend to the outcast. No. They had a real hard time with what Jesus said about himself. And I, I think it's, it's good for us to realize that Jesus is coming and proclaiming in terms of who he is, and not everybody likes him. Some people love him. Some people want to kill him. And, and you don't just, you don't look at nice teachers and go, oh, I just, you know, teacher of the year, state of Oklahoma, I want to kill him. What is wrong with you? Like, why are you so upset? So there honestly has to be something underneath this. The name of Jesus, um, especially probably over the last 60, 70 years, has really been called into question as we try to find a way to live peaceably among diverse cultures. 
different ideas, different, different convictions, particularly religious convictions. And so Jesus becomes like one name among many names who have religious ideas. And therefore, especially in uh, the context of public prayer, it's just good to keep the name of Jesus specifically out. You can use the generic name for God and, and talk about, um, thank you, God, and um, we, we pray to you, God. You can do that because that's generic, right? At least, at le- at least it, it can appear like that. Back in the, in the middle of the 90s, there was a, a preacher in the state of Kansas that was called to, to come to their state assembly and to, and to, and to pray for their opening of their uh, legislature session. He was told, now listen, I'm not going to tell you exactly what to say in your prayer, but we just, you need to keep Jesus out of it. Um, he's, he's too controversial. He's too specific. We're into the generic attitude of this. We don't want to offend those who have the Muslim faith. We don't want to send those of a, of a non-faith. So in the end, as long as you talk about God in the generic, we're fine. But just leave the name of Jesus out of it. And he decided there's no way I'm doing that. And so he decided to literally like almost preach a sermon in his prayer. I remember reading it. And thinking to myself, well, this guy had a point to make, and his point was Jesus. Listen, a lot of people loved it. A lot of people hated it. It was, it was like this prayer was a dividing rod, uh, uh, discerning people's hearts. And in the end, it, it seemed like that um, very seldom did you meet somebody who was like, eh, whatever. Most of the people either loved it or hated it because it stood for something. That's what Jesus is going to do in our text today. He's going to stand for himself. You're going to have to deal with Jesus today, the truth about who he is. And so just in the first two verses of our text, we're going to hear the truth about Jesus, and he states it this way. Matthew records in verse 26, or chapter 26, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all of these things, that's the, the, the previous section, the, the section of the parables about what it's going to be like at the end of time, his judgment against the religious people of his day, his warning to the disciples that this is what's going to happen and Jerusalem itself will be completely destroyed. After he's done all of these sermons in the final week, he comes down and he speaks to his disciples. Verse 2, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. I thought it was interesting that Jesus would actually say, you know. Now the first part of this is, you know that after two days the Passover is coming. Well, sure, it's on the calendar. I looked at it. I saw it right there. Passover coming, two days from now. But Jesus is insinuating something more. I would say, and and it's really not in the Greek text, but, but I would say that what he should have said to them was, you should know. Like maybe you know the Passover is coming and one of the things that you should know but you don't know because you haven't been paying attention or your mind hasn't been willing to submit or your heart is stubborn, you should know that I'm about to be, about to be handed over, I'm about to be betrayed, I'm about to be mocked and scourged and then killed and, and then rise again. You should know that. In Matthew chapter 16, he told them that. He told them that this is what's going to happen. My road has a cross. Not at the end of it, but my time here on earth. There's a critical juncture where the cross stands in my life. In Matthew 16, it was very, very clear. And the disciples could not get it through their hard hearts. They couldn't fathom that kind of end for the one that they had sworn allegiance to. 
So in Matthew chapter 17, he says it again. Hey, hey, by the way, this is what's going to happen. We are on our way to Jerusalem, and I will be handed over, and then I'll be mocked and scourged, and then I will be crucified. On the third day, I will rise again. And and just in case they hadn't paid attention, Matthew records that in chapter 20, Jesus says it for a third time. And here he is just a few days away, and he's saying it again. It's interesting, and I'm reading a book right now, really grateful for this men's study that I'm going through. It's a book I had not read before by A.W. Tozer. Um, and, and, and this book, one of the opening lines has just kind of been kind of ruminating around in my mind and, and, and convicting my heart. The question is this, what if the most important thing about you is what you know about God? I think the same thing could be said of Jesus. So let me use that for this morning. What if the most important thing about you is what you know about Jesus? Like what you believe about Jesus? A lot of people know a lot of things about Jesus. The question is, do they know the truth? I've got a friend of mine that I, uh, who's of the Muslim faith, and I, I share the gospel with him. We talk about the gospel, and he loves to point out that, you know, I, I, I believe in Jesus too. Like, I, I love and appreciate Jesus, too. You're not the only Jesus lover in this house, and I, I don't argue with that. And so I love to, to point out the parts about Jesus that I love the most. You know, I love the fact that Jesus, you know, was in fact God and, and his equality with God that he existed before he came to this earth. Don't you love that about Jesus? And he said, I don't believe that about Jesus. Well, but don't you love the fact that Jesus came to this earth because you and I are broken and sinful and we cannot escape God's judgment and so Jesus on the cross took our sin on our behalf? Is that not awesome? And he said, but I don't believe that about Jesus. Okay, but don't you love the fact that after he had been killed that death and the grave could not hold him and he rose again and he ascended to the side? Don't you love that about him? And you know what he said? I don't believe that about him. What if the most important thing about this young man is what he believes about Jesus, what he knows about Jesus? Do you believe that to be true? Wow. Then then what we know, like what we believe, the words are closer in the original languages, like what we know and what we believe and how we respond must matter the most. And so we see after Jesus has clearly spoken, there's no confusion. Verse 3, Matthew records, here's the truth about Jesus. Man, some people just hate the truth. They just hate it. They hear who Jesus Christ is. It's not that his language is confusing. And they come up with an alternative plan. They, they don't say, oh, let us bow down and let me go get some uh, frankincense and myrrh. Let me, let me, you know, what do they say? Look at verse three. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas. I've been in that house. They plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth. Arrest them for what? Because of what he claimed about himself. There was no confusion there. They didn't say, you know, I really don't know what to do with this great teacher who loves the poor. No, they heard him say who he was. They heard him talk about the fact that he was God, and it offended them. 
They, they knew that he raised Lazarus from the dead, and from that point on, they determined that they were going to kill him. And now he's in Jerusalem, and all these people are around, and they have decided we are going to put an end to this. They plotted together with, 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 with each other by stealth. It's interesting that what you're going to see here are there are groups of people who are not friendly to one another who unite around their hatred of Jesus to kill him. And the gospel writers love to record that they do it secretly. So by stealth, they need a betrayer. We, we need to have a court session where we have liars come and testify. We need to do it under the cover of night, something that was not allowed in the Jewish tradition. All of these things breaking against what they should have known to try to get rid of the one that came here to disrupt everything. Sometimes the, easiest, sometimes the easiest way to deal with Jesus is to just get rid of him. But, they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. See, one of the things that, that's keeping um, the religious leaders who are plotting to kill Jesus, the one thing that, that kept them careful was the fact that just a few short days earlier, Jesus came into Jerusalem and when he did, the, the, the people saw him as a, as a possible king, as somebody who could set them free from tyranny and oppression. And, and maybe that, that was still ringing out in their ears. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, save us. And, and they said, wow, I mean, we, we would love to do something with Jesus, but just look how popular he is. But their hatred in their heart was still too great. They hated Jesus. It's interesting because a lot of us might think of this and think, wow, that's just over the top. That just seems kind of crazy. It doesn't seem worth it. I just can't help but think before we jump into this next section where we see a, a, a longer, more, more deliberate, more appropriate response is that, number one, we should not be surprised when people hear the truth about Jesus particularly and their response is, I want no part of this. I want none of this. In fact, um, it's only in places like America where we can enjoy different kinds of freedom and we can just continue to strive for economic prosperity in a life where we can build kingdoms and, and, and purposes for ourselves, where we want a degree of tolerance and a degree of understanding that we always want to try to find, well, some place in the middle. Let's just try to smooth out the edges. Let's try to find some kind of mediating or moderate response to who Jesus Christ is so that we can all just get along. But every time I come back and I read the scriptures, it seems like this middle ground that most of us want to try to walk, there's the middle, we want to try to walk that whenever we deal with the words of Jesus Christ, we are constantly forced to the edges. You cannot serve two masters, for you will either love, you will love one and you will hate the other. You will, you will absolutely be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I love the fact that, that Jesus says, no, there's no fence riding, there's no middle road. You, you need to deal with the truth about who I am. And so many of us basically in our culture and in our time try to, to ride the high middle as long as we can. I really want to challenge you. What, what, what kind of response is it to Jesus to try to build him into a part of your life? 
Like, like essentially, like, listen, I, 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 I'm not the guy that hates him. I, I don't want to kill him. I'm ready to use him anytime I need him. Actually, if you could let me know where he is, I, I would love to keep him there. I, I don't even mind at times in my life to, to reach out to use him. I, I mean, basically, I arrange my calendar. I arrange my, my interests and my purposes. And whenever I can, and I mean this, whenever I can, I try to fit Jesus in. What looks like a middle road for us walking on, what side does it really reflect? accurate picture of the worth and the purposes of Jesus Christ? See, the truth is, a lot of us don't understand this text because we don't have the venom in us. And we have replaced the venom with indifference to appease our conscience. But Jesus has just finished preaching a bunch of parables Describing that there's wheat and chaff. Describing that there's sheep and goats. There's not sheep and goats and half sheep goat. There's weeds and there's wheat. There's no room for indifference. There's, there's no room. But listen, there's always, there's always grace to figure it out. But there's no room to know the truth about Jesus Christ and then continue to build your kingdom for your own purposes and your own glory. There's just no room in that. And it's texts like this that, that kind of force me to be more honest and to be more um, intentional about what I believe Jesus Christ to be And how he has called me to take my life and the life of my family and to not fit Jesus in, but be folded into his. So don't don't, don't sit here this morning and find a sense of peace because you're not as bad as these guys. Don't walk away and think, yeah, I don't need to deal with that because there's there's none of that kind of hatred or venom in me. I was said a number of years ago that I absolute, one of the most horrific events in human history, that all is needed for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. And yet so much of our religious devotion and dedication is passive instead of intentional understanding of who Jesus Christ, this is our gropies. I want to know who Jesus Christ is. I just want to know the truth about him and I want to respond truthfully to him. And so look at those who love the truth. Now, what, what is really complicated about this section is that you would think if I had the religious leaders on one side, then on the other side, those who love Jesus and care for Jesus, that's the disciples, right? Well, well, kind of. I mean, the disciples definitely do. They, they love Jesus, and they're going to be the future. They're going to be the, the pillars that Jesus Christ is going to build the church upon. The truth about who he is will be proclaimed from their mouths and lived in their lives. But before we get there, there are still problems and struggles that they're working through. So, so notice what happens. It's interesting that those who love the truth, it ends up being this woman who just can't stop herself from doing what the heart wants to do. Verse 6. 
Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. When you put this account, Matthew 26, with Mark 14, and then John chapter 12, what you actually see is, this is Mary. You know Mary, not not Jesus' mother. No, No, not Mary Magdalene, the other Mary. Mary, whose sister was Martha, whose brother was Lazarus. In John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and Mary and Martha are there. In John chapter 12, that's when this, is, this event is recorded. And that's where we know her name actually is Mary, and she is there at that moment. She has this very expensive uh, vial of perfume, and she pours it out upon Jesus. She, she lavishes it on him. This is an extravagant, a very expensive event that happens. And look at the response of the disciples. The, the ones who, following Jesus, the ones who claim to love Jesus. Look at verse 8. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. And what did they say? Why this waste? Have you ever watched someone else worship? I, I, I don't just mean sing. I just mean like, respond to who God is. Have you, ever, have you ever seen someone else like respond to who God is and you just kind of sit there in judgment of them? A young person decides to give their life to Jesus Christ. Does he know what he's doing? How old is Adam anyway? Anybody else have that thought? The offering plate goes by. We, we want to take up an offering for Japan and some people probably gave like extravagant amounts of money and, and, and you were, well, how much should I give? Let me think here. Yeah, I'm not going to. Have you seen people raise their hands or not raise their hands? It's interesting that there is something about people's actions towards Jesus. We, we almost can't stop it. We, we, we are processing through, thinking through, maybe judging through. Good having Austin and Amanda here. I remember being in your country. And we traveled around to all these churches. You remember that? And I've, I've been in, in even some charismatic churches here in the States, but nothing like Ghana, brother. Nothing like Ghana. And so we would travel to these churches, and they would have a service kind of like ours. And then usually, I think it was after the offering, right? It was dance time. It was literally like dance time, like soul train dance time. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you don't know what I'm talking about. It was just one of the most interesting, like bizarre things. And, and then it started out, it was usually mostly men, and they would just, in a circle, do this kind of dance that I could, could not do. And in a circle, they would dance and dance and dance and dance and dance and dance. And I would ask, I asked Austin, what, what is that that they're doing? What is that dance? Where did that come from? And it was the tribal dances that they used to do and they would be victorious over their enemy. And then they would just dance to the Lord. And I thought, that's weird. It is so unbecoming. I saw grown men who are rather reserved in every other aspect, just, you know, it doesn't, it's, yeah, I can't, I'm not gonna break dance. I have no, it was, um, it seemed to me, right, brother, is it, tell me if I'm wrong, is this not an automatic cultural response 
to the bigness of God, celebrating victory. A lot of their songs, they sang victory that they find in Jesus Christ. And I, I sat there, I don't think I was being judgmental, but I just, I sat there and I thought, that's weird. There's just something about like big responses to who Jesus Christ is that makes us sit back and go, huh. I remember being in high school hearing about a big church that had been built, I think a few years earlier, uh, the Crystal Cathedral. You remember that church? It's gone through some harder times as of late, but Dr. Robert Schuler built it, and uh, it, was, it was very expensive, and it was absolutely beautiful. And I was in high school, so I was brilliant at the time. And I knew exactly, if you would ask me, I could tell you exactly how Jesus would spend money. And if there's one thing Jesus would never do is he would never build a cathedral. Never. Not when there are poor. Not when there are people who are hurting. He would never do that. Interestingly enough, I still remember Dr. Robert Schuler using this text as a reason for building this extravagant, lavish, architectural wonder to the God of the heavens. And I sat on the sideline in Calgary, Alberta, going, What a waste! I don't know. I don't know. I remember knowing. I remember when I knew it was a waste. I remember when I knew that that was just the dumbest use of our money. You know, if he would have sold that building, you know how much he could have? I remember, I remember talking like that. I remember thinking like that. Hear me, I'm not asking for a mindless Christianity. I'm not asking for a, a, a way to, to somehow boycott or avoid what it means to, to stop and to think and to reflect and to be led by the Spirit. But I find myself so many times when people make crazy and bold moves to give glory and honor and praise to Jesus, I find myself with statements like this in my mind. Why this waste? Why this waste of this life? Why this waste of this time? Why the waste of this money? Surely there could have been something more. We, we could have gotten together and formed a committee and figured out how we could, um, with efficiency, for success sake, we could have done so much more, don't you think? Look at verse 10. But Jesus was aware of how Jim Johnson thinks. Oh yeah, okay, here. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. You'll always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Can I, can I tell you what that verse has caused me to reflect on, and it has silenced me in many, in many instances when I want to jump to conclusions regarding someone else's response to the bigness or the greatness or the generosity of God. It has caused me to stop and in silence, just, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second. God might be doing this. See, what, what, what's amazing is I, I remember times in my life when... Uh, when love was inside of me and the price didn't matter. Andrew, you remember when we started dating? October 28, 1985. I was in love with her, like crazy love. And I was 17 and she was 15, so it was real love. 
Not like third grade love or fourth grade love. This was like 10th grade, 12th grade love. And, and I, I did not have much money, but that Christmas, I don't know if you remember, I bought you a sweater. It was, an, it was not just a sweater. It was a sweater. It was a $120 sweater in 1985. No, it was Canada, so everybody needed sweaters. But I got her a sweater. And I, I remember looking at it. I remember going, well, that's a lot of money. And then I didn't care. It could have been $240 or $360 or $400. It didn't matter to me because Andrea is what mattered to me. And I just wanted to get it for her. Have you ever been like that? Yeah, I'm not really thinking right now. I'm just in love. Yeah, I'm not calculating this. I'm responding to love. And that's what this woman does. The disciples are calculating. And this woman is just responding. I, I think about this statement a lot because sometimes I can get so in love with ministry that I can forget about Jesus. I can be so in love with, are you ready for this one? Sometimes I can be so in love with the church and the community that we have that I can forget about Jesus. I can be just so grateful for you and all that you've done for me and just how you love my family. I mean, just think about like Thanksgiving time. We love to thank, oh, thank you for my country and thank you for all that you've given me and just thank you for all of these things. And, and the one thing I just never stop and truly give thanks for is Jesus. Somehow I've like traded in. I've traded in him for everything that uh, he gives. This text reminds us that uh, like the poor we will always have with us. Like literally, like even, even Osaka, Japan, you know we'll always have ministry needs like that, right? We'll always have needs like that. And that's the difference between like, I know how to be lavish for me. I know how to be extravagant for the ones that I love. I know how to just not even look at the sticker price because I love my kids way too much. I don't care how much it costs. I just want it for them. And by the way, do you know how to spoil yourself? Yeah, I don't spoil myself. And Jesus asks in this text, and what's amazing is I keep going back to this text and I keep trying to figure out where I'll land and where I'll fall. And I fall to the same place every time. I avoid this council where the religious leaders want to kill Jesus. Yeah, that makes no sense to me. I think I'd walk out going, this looks like it's going bad. But then when I show up in the room, and I'm right there in Simon the leper's house, and I'm watching this woman, and we kind of gather together, like the 12, and then I kind of cut them in as the 13th, right? And I'm kind of listening to them, and they're calculating, and they're, they're shrewd, and they're figuring it out. I mean, I think they would convince me, yeah, let's go tell Jesus this was a big mistake. Ready? On three. Break. One, two, three. Break. Yeah, Jesus, what was she thinking? And Jesus goes, <laughs> she was thinking about me. Wow. You will always have the poor with you. Especially, I think we need to hear this because right now we're living in a time where yet once again it is very popular to care. I mean, right, right now, this, this, especially the younger generation is really excited and they are on fire and passionate for the ministries of Jesus and caring for, for Jesus. I just hope they don't forget Jesus in the process. The poor you will always have with you. But you won't always have me, Jesus says to the disciples. And may we never replace 
May we never replace him as the center and purpose of our lives. And yet, may everything, when we get Jesus in the right place, may everything flow naturally from that. May we, may we seek the reconciliation of, of us and others. May we seek that. May we, may we want to give to the poor and may we want to care for, for issues like social justice, but without Jesus as the cause, without Jesus as the reason. In the end, everything is short-lived. It's on a timer. Only Jesus takes things to the eternal. Look at verse 11, or sorry, in verse 12, Jesus continues, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial, something that the disciples seemingly could not deal with and did not understand and were not interested in preparing. For truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. You know what's interesting? You know what's also told every time we tell the story? That the disciples didn't get it. See, not only do they say, look at Mary and how she got it. Right on the heels of that is, and look at everyone who was closest to Jesus. They didn't get it. And then one of the 12, this is how Matthew refuses to let this text just kind of end on a High note in the end, like mixed in the middle of it, verse 14. And then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests. So after calculating the use of this, he goes to the chief priests. What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. So he would have been one of the ones calculating. I, I think there's, we can use the money better. Yeah, your heart's not there anyway. For 30 pieces of silver, and then from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Loving Jesus, hating Jesus, planning to kill Jesus, worship Jesus, all in the same short 16 verses. And actually probably all in this room right now. And that's why it's important that we take the time to think intentionally about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. And, and not, not try to build our lives for ourselves, but in understanding the truth about him, if the most important thing about you is what you believe about Jesus, if that is the, the difference between the wheat and the weeds, the sheep and the goats, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't even know you. You want to know what the difference is? The difference is what they believed about Jesus. It shapes absolutely everything. It is the deal breaker. It is the deal maker. But as important as the decision that you need to make for Jesus is, and as much as you need to be serious about this moment, and you need to, to take seriously who Jesus Christ is and then the implications, the natural overflow of who he is on your life. As important as that is, what is actually more important is that the unstoppable truth about Jesus is not left up to us. At no point in time is Jesus looking for a vote or taking popular opinion polls. In fact, in many ways, it doesn't really matter what the chief priests say. It doesn't even matter what the disciples say. 
the ultimate unstoppable truth about Jesus Christ is coming whether or not anybody likes it or not. I love that. The fact that I somehow have seen it is an incredible blessing to me, but the fact that somehow that it is unstoppable is of great peace to me. Here's how Matthew records it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel said to Mary, she will bear a son, and you will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. She didn't say, hey Mary, I got an idea. Interested? Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist makes a pretty bold statement. He will, speaking of Jesus Christ, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And this is not for debate or for vote. Jesus then speaks when he is high upon the mountain in Matthew chapter 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I will fulfill them. I'm here to proclaim the kingdom, tell you what is coming, and invite you into it. But it's coming. Jesus continues on his invitation reaching deep into the heart of Israel. Come to me all who labor and are heavy burden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew chapter 20. This is the third time Jesus makes it clear about his plan and purpose. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. This is just going to happen. You want to receive this? Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Jesus makes this very bold statement. Heaven and earth will pass away. Literally, heaven, the the, the sky and the universe, all of that will pass away. The firmness of the ground beneath your feet will pass away. But what does he end with? But my words will not pass away. What Jesus says is true. What Jesus says about himself is true. For this morning, I pray, our our prayer for you is that you know the truth about Jesus Christ and then you respond rightly to the truth about him, that you grow in understanding and obedience to him and that you find the peace that he promises, that you recognize the purpose in your own life and it becomes part of your life. And you don't try to pretend anymore about walking the middle line, but you experience the joy of a lavish, extravagant love that has first been poured out on you and for you through Jesus Christ. And then you learn what Mary understood, is that there is no gift too great for her Savior. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would work this text in our heart, that it would mold and shape our mind and our will, that God, we would celebrate the truth about Jesus, knowing the truth about Jesus, and growing in obedience to him in truth. I thank you, God, for the reality that I could never have figured out this text on my own. Every time I play it out using human reasoning, there is a better use for this 
ointment for this, for this gift. And every time I'm reminded that I'm wrong and that you're right. Father, may we continue to hear your voice speak to us and may we continue to respond. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. I would love to continue this faith conversation with you. There will be men and women up front that would love to talk to you about this. If you don't know the hope or the peace that comes in knowing Jesus, walk this way instead of that way. We would love to share more with you. For those of you that know the peace of Jesus Christ, go in that peace this morning. God bless. Love you guys. See you next Sunday.